For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn, people. Because you're tuned to the Ozarks number one show about your money. Randy Floyd, founder of Floyd Financial Group, will be your guide for straight talk about living the life you deserve in retirement. Prepare to be empowered. Now, here's your show me the money host, Randy Floyd. Thank you so much. Welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. I'll start off with you, Randy. How you doing today? I'm doing very well, Jeff. Had a great morning on the bike and uh, just am excited. Well, I'm excited, too, to be here with you, and you are my hero, of course. As I've said many times, the exercise that you get in, I think everybody should be like you and be uh, healthy and active. But no, you're a, you're really a young guy, I think, physically, and you're a young guy mentally as well, too, so I take my hat off to you. If I wore a hat, I would take it off. And uh, Jake, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, Jeff. Thank you. All right. Glad to hear that. Hope our listeners are doing well today, too. We're glad to be with you here on Saturday morning with Show Me the Money. And as always, we're going to start off with our opinion piece here this week. And I want to start off with current events. And I'm going to throw this one out here and just let you guys run with it. Inflation and the Fed policy. Imagine it. We're talking about the Fed again. <laughs> yeah. Well, as you know, they uh, they raised rates again by a quarter point last week. There was a lot of people thinking that they may not raise rates after what happened in the banks and everything because the bank issue is directly tied to the Fed raising interest rates. And so the problem is, is that it's not necessarily going to fix inflation. And, you know, the Fed has a very difficult balancing act ahead of them. You know, people thought it was hard to be the Fed and make these decisions for the last year or so, but now the rubber really meets the road. You know, are, are they able to maintain their poker face and make the public believe that they're going to continue to raise rates, make corporations believe that they're going to continue to raise rates in the face of this banking thing. And some would call it a crisis. I don't know that I would call it a crisis yet. We may get there before it's over, but I think that now comes the hard work for Mr. J. Powell, as we call him here in the office. Mr. J. Powell, Jerome Powell, of course, we're talking about the Fed chair. So as you said, he raised rates. How much did he raise rates by most recently? So we raised another quarter point, and so that means we're going to have the bottom of the Fed range at 4.75, or the average close to 4.85, which means, you know, CDs, money markets on the short-term end of things will still continue to uh, go up. You know, we'll have money markets here at least uh, available to people, you know, in the 4.7 range here, probably in the next week or so. You know, so it's good for savers. But that which is good for savers typically is not good for stock market. And uh, <laughs> I think that it begs the question, you know, if I can get 4.7% with no risk, yeah. why would I put my money at risk in the market when it's gyrating and flailing the way it is? Yeah, that's a good point, Jake. I also think that, you know, as, as we look back over our shoulder, you know, over the last several years when uh, interest rates were really, really low and finally got, you know, by August of 2020, a 10-year treasury bill. Now think about this. Would you loan your money for 10 years at point? I don't think so, no. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy, isn't yeah, it? Right. So, but that's where it got to. And so people said, you know, I've had enough of this. And so they couldn't live on 0.53. 
You know, at 0.53, Jeff, think about this. On a million dollars, you'd earn $5,300 a year interest. Wow, wow, yeah. That's <laughs> ugly. So anyway, <laughs> we need about 10 times that, right? Yeah. So anyway, anyway, where I was going with that basically was, number one, that's a long time to loan money for that. But people had to start taking risk that they were not really accustomed to going into the stock market. And so now that things have kind of unraveled and people can actually get some decent interest rates, I mean, people are piling into money markets and treasury bills, looking for safety, knowing also that they can get yields around four to four and a half. There's even some things out there that I would say you need to be careful with in the five to five and a half percent range. And one thing I would like to kind of tell people here locally is, you know, our local banks around here are, you know, not the uh, SVBs and the First Republics. I mean, they're not dealing right. in those arenas. Some of the practices that these banks were involved in, in, in fact, you know, there was, there's been a whole deal through Congress this past week where all the regulators, the risk managers, and all these people are being called on the carpet saying, uh, did you know about this? And the answer is yes, they did. They knew there was risk even as late as in late 21. And then through 2022, they were looking at it. But, you know, as is normal for our government, they looked at it and thought about it and did squat. So <laughs> yeah. is really the long and the short of it because this could have been averted. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But for our local banks here, you know, I don't think people have anything to worry about as far as putting their money in the bank, buying CDs. I will say this, if you go out online and you're looking at buying CDs and you see the first national bank of Bradleyville, I'd be careful with that bank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I take a look at the rates once in a while, and 4.75% seems to be a very good rate, and it is a very good rate. We haven't seen that in a long time, but boy, when I was a kid and I had a passbook savings account, I mean, you know, you were getting like 10 12%. Will we ever see those days again, do you think? I think if we see those days again, it will be a long time from now. Yeah. You know, there's no way that we're going to go that high this cycle, which means we're going to go maybe up a little bit more, then we're going to go back to zero because the Fed is going to stimulate us trying to get out of the recession that it's causing right now. And then on the other side of that, we may have interest rates rise again. But I mean, you know, you're talking to get to 10, it's hard to imagine that in the next decade. Yeah. Could take two, three, four decades, or could be never, like you said. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to have a significant amount of major growth. You have to have a huge influx of productivity and capital to create a situation where 10% would be sustainable and not crush the economy. You know, it's hard to imagine that scenario. Now, that being said, if the Fed does not fix inflation here and they start printing and, and stimulating too early, they could cause inflation itself to go up there and then they might have to go up there to correct it. But Again, it's still I still don't think it would be that high. That would that would be a big number, you know. There's places in South America, like Argentina, for example, that are over a hundred percent inflation. Right, right. Um, you've got, you know, Turkey at seventy percent inflation, you know. So as bad as it seems here with six, seven percent stated inflation, maybe fifteen, twenty percent actual inflation for the average person at the grocery store, that kind of thing. While that seems horrid comparatively to a lot of the world, we, we have it very good here. And so I want everybody listening to understand that we are not whining about America. We love this country. Mm -hmm. We have it very good here. What we don't want to do is become a third world South American nation here. <laughs> you know, yeah. we want to we want to maintain our status. We want to do things that increase productivity. If we're productive enough, 
none of this will matter. Right. And, you know, what we have to get stay away from is endless printing of money, endless giving money away to people who are not producing anything. And again, I don't mind taking care of people that need help. That's not what I'm saying. But right, we right. need to not encourage people sitting on their butts. And, you know, as long as we don't do that, America will continue to be America. And the more we can incentivize production at the base level, meaning the average worker, to want to make more money, do better for their family, those kinds of things, and therefore work harder, the sooner everybody gets out of this. And we were having a conversation off the air as far as productivity goes, and I'd like you to repeat this, Randy, because you gave a very, very good example, and it is about widgets. Can you repeat that story? You know, I've never quite known what a widget actually is. (laughs) But they use that term a lot now in in computing and things, you know. But anyway, uh, yeah, my example basically was this. You know, Jeff, if I pay you $20 an hour and your productivity is one widget per hour, you know, everybody goes along fine. But if I can help you and we can figure out how for you to make 1.25 or one and a half widgets or, heaven forbid, two widgets per hour, (laughs) we could not only drive the price of widgets down because widgets will be more plentiful at a lower cost, but I can also give you a raise that you deserve based on productivity and therefore really control what's going on. So as we look at what the Fed's trying to do, he's tightening the money supply, he's raising interest rates, trying to make it painful to make people stop spending money. At the same time, though, we have this problem that's kind of exacerbating that, and that is that, you know, people would like to have a 25-hour work week. Well, I mean, I would too, but I mean, I just, it doesn't make sense Things come from somewhere. Somebody has to do it. If a farmer doesn't plant corn, how much corn will he harvest? Well, yeah, none. None. Exactly. If, If people don't go to work and don't produce anything, there's nothing to buy. There is no economy. So we have to remember that somebody somewhere paid for it, either with money or with time and blood and sweat and tears. Nothing falls out of the sky and lands in your lap. And I think there's a lot of people that simply don't understand that. You know, they don't understand that, you know, if they run out of food at the house, they just go to the grocery store. Well, what if the grocery store runs out of food? Well, right? yeah. What if, so the basic understanding of production is lost, especially on a lot of younger people who they don't understand the way the world works. Yeah. And, and again, I'm not picking on them, just simply saying that, you know, they've never really given any real thought to anything outside of Instagram and, and TikTok, you know. Yeah. And, and, the- and, if, and if the world came to a situation where we started to really run out of things, there's a lot of people that really wouldn't know what to do. Right. And I think that a basic understanding of where everything comes from mm-hmm. gives you an appreciation for what it takes to get those things, you know, to have, you know, eggs on the table when you're eating in the morning. Right. There's a chicken farmer out there that went through a whole lot of crap, oh, literally yeah. and figuratively, <laughs> yeah. to uh, to get that and make that possible for you. And honestly, when you even at ridiculously elevated egg prices, when you think about for six or seven dollars, I can have a dozen eggs. Yeah, that's still a pretty good deal. Yes, it, it is. It was a ridiculous deal when it was a dollar, right? Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but even at five or six, seven dollars. I mean, for five or six, seven dollars, can I magically make a dozen eggs appear? No. Yeah, I mean, I have no. to have a farm. I have to have a facility. Yeah. I have to have, you know, eggs. Somebody go out there and tend it and scoop it and do all the things that that have to be done. And I think there's just simply a lot of people that don't understand what it takes to do that. So they don't have any appreciation for it. And because yeah. they don't have an appreciation for it, they just want everything given to them. And so I think that if we can 
steer away from that behavior and that thought process and we can say, hey, I'm going to do what I do well. Jeff, I'll be the first person to admit that I am not a handy guy. You know, if you get, <laughs> if, if something breaks in the house, mm-hmm. I'm on the phone fixing it, not, not yeah. me fixing me it, right? <laughs> and, and, and I'm, the, but that being said, yeah. I'm a numbers guy. Yeah. You know, put me in front of a spreadsheet, put yep. me in front of yep. numbers. I like numbers mm. and, you know, I'm pretty good with math and investments and things like that. So the beauty of America is I can do what I do well and mm-hmm. you can do what you do well and everybody benefits. Yeah, I mean, I love it. That's exactly right, Jake. You know, everybody can win, and that's the thing that we need to get back into people's minds is, yes, that you can win. You can succeed. Let's not be apathetic and say, oh, woe is me. I can't do anything. That is where we kind of are right now. And, when, you know, there's uh, I was raised, you know, in the country down at Bradleyville, financed by the first National Bank of Bradleyville. And anyway, we had chickens and all that, you know, and I'll just have to tell you, Jeff, there's nothing like fresh chicken manure between your toes in the morning. <laughs> in the summertime, yeah. Out there barefoot, I can just imagine that. I'm telling you, Randy, you've got the greatest stories in the world. But I want to take the point here. You know, you guys were not really on the soapbox, but I want to put out something here. From me to the farmers of this part of the country, we salute you. I appreciate you every day. Without farmers, there is no food. We salute right. all of you who work hard for a living to make this the greatest country in the world. So I'm just going to leave it at that. You're listening to Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. We appreciate you being with us here in this Saturday morning. And once again, if you'd like to take advantage of the opportunity to have your no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment financial review with Randy and Jake of Floyd Financial Group and listening to this program, I think that you know they are just like us. We have a common theme here, and that is common sense here in the last bastion of sanity. For your no-cost, no-obligation financial review with Randy and Jake, call 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233. You can also request your no-obligation, no-judgment financial plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. We're going to take a break here on Show Me the Money. We'll be right back with more of our show right after this here on 104.1 KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Declare your retirement independence today with Floyd Financial Group. Having the right investment strategy could allow you all sorts of freedom to do what you want, when you want, for the rest of your life. You've worked hard, you've saved a lot, and at Floyd Financial Group, we want to help you avoid what is likely your single largest expense in retirement, taxes. With all the economic fallout from the pandemic and the new administration, taxes are almost certainly on the rise. Somebody has to pay for the trillions in debt we're racking up. Don't let it be you. Call Floyd Financial Group at 417-889-7233 to learn about our complete retirement investment strategy and how they're customized for every unique patriot working towards retirement independence. That's 417-889-7233 or visit floydfinancialgroup.com, floydfinancialgroup.com. Advisory services offered through Floyd Financial Group, LLC. Ready for a heaping helping of some more real talk? Thought so. Here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your server, Randy Floyd. 
Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to continue talking a little bit about banks, what's going on with them. We're going to talk about the, uh, you know, remember the show, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So in this segment, we're going to talk about the bad, the ugly, and the good. (laughs) We're we're going to switch it up a little bit because we want people to leave here with a little hope. Yeah. We want people to understand the problem because we have a lot of people coming in right now, Jeff, saying, so what about this banking thing? And what about, you know, what do you think is going to happen here? And should I, you know, bring my money home and stick it in a safe and a mattress in the wall? Don't put it in the wall. If the house burns, your money burns. So uh, put it someplace safe. (laughs) But uh, anyway, I think that's why we want to just talk about this and and, uh, expand a little bit on that. Yeah, and I want to distinguish between things like Silicon Valley Bank and when I was a kid, the first national bank, or it was actually the Farmers and Merchants Bank of Miamisburg, Ohio, was a small town bank. There's a big difference there. So let's kick it off with the banks. Of course, I think most people know about the troubles that Silicon Valley Bank had and they're uh, making loans in the tech industry and so forth. And then, of course, Credit Suisse has sort of followed Deutsche Bank and so forth. So let's take it from there and talk about the troubles that those banks have and whether or not that's going to trickle down to our local banks. So a couple things, you know, like we alluded to earlier, you know, it was known by bank regulators and people that they were headed for trouble. And one of the things that I would say that we need to talk about here is in all reality too, it was a perfect storm that created part of Silicon Valley Bank's problem. Meaning we had the pandemic, we had tech stocks and things going wild and crazy. Everybody got really speculative. Interest rates were extremely low. Capital was virtually free. And so it was just a good time, you know, in Shangri-La. Mm-hmm. But it obviously is a recipe for inflation. Right. Absolutely it is. And and also, you know, we, we look back over that and we think about, you know, they one of the things that they were doing is they were looking at these companies that were going to IPO and they would sit down with the powers that be or the, the soon-to-be owners or the people that took it public and they'd say, well, you know, we'd like to have a loan, the guy would say, up front ahead of the IPO in exchange for an equity stake on our company. Hmm. And, you know, as we look back, I mean, I, re- I remember looking and talking about all the companies that were considering IPOing during the pandemic and through there. And there were a lot of those that tried that never got there. So when you're loaning on the will come of something that is that volatile and maybe not even not ever going to happen, I mean, that really puts you in harm's way. And I think to help people understand, it would be like I say, okay, I'm going to start a concrete business and I want you to loan me money like it's worth $100 million. Now, I haven't done any concrete yet. <laughs> Yeah. But someday it's going to be a $100 million business. I hope. I mean, you would look at me and go, you're nuts, right? Yeah, like, right. Like, like, no way I'm going to loan you that money, you know? And so that's more or less what was happening with a lot of these tech startups where it's mm-hmm. like, hopefully it'll do good someday. And in a lot of cases, they did do good. But inevitably, there's some people who either failed or worked the system or, you know, a million other things. And that's excessive risk-taking in banking. And the problem with our response to this, the, the problem and the good thing, frankly, is by backstopping these banks, we're encouraging the banks to have this risky behavior. But at the same time, the average person needs to be reassured that your money is going to be safe in these banks. Mm-hmm. Whether that's right or wrong, I'll leave up to you from a determination standpoint, but the government has made exceedingly clear that they are going to take back this thing up to any amount necessary. And so while I do think that 
we have not seen the end of this and we will likely see maybe even some larger institutions or at least more institutions have trouble because they're running low on capital. I don't want people to be concerned and laying awake in bed at night that they're not going to be able to go get their money tomorrow at the bank because mm-hmm. that that is not what we're saying here. Right. What we are saying is is that the financial industry has gotten caught with their pants down once again. And that will happen again if time lasts 10 or 15 years from now. But they have gotten caught again, and they will work through it from a stock valuation standpoint and from an asset price standpoint. That's where we're concerned. We're not concerned about whether or not you're going to be able to go get your money at the bank. Right. So, again, rest <laughs> easy. Tell your spouse that, you know, Randy and Jake said that yeah. part of it's going to be okay. You know, yeah. and, and we want people, because there's a lot of people calling us daily saying, you know, is my money safe here? Do I need to move it? Mm-hmm. Um, and the answer is we don't have any reason to think that it's not safe at this point. Right. So, you know, Jeff, looking back over our shoulder and talking about these IPOs, some that happened and didn't happen. And then there was those that happened. And, you know, when an IPO happens doesn't necessarily ensure success of the company, right? So you may remember a company that went public about three years ago called Rivian. And Rivian was an electric car or pickup. It was the first thing they made company. Right. Well, the day they they opened, the day they IPO'd, now think about this, they had never sold a vehicle. They had some (laughs) prototypes. Types, but they had never sold a vehicle. Yeah. They uh, over a hundred billion dollars is what they were valued. Now, General Motors at the time, Jake, correct me if I'm wrong, probably about sixteen billion or something like that is what General might have been Motors a little bit more than that. But yeah, was worth. it, it was some, way more than GM, who yeah. has and sold GM's producing you know, you know hundreds of millions of vehicles, million yeah. vehicles a year, or something like that. So anyway, now today Rivian is worth twelve billion. So that hundred billion dollars that they raised, you know, people have have divested themselves over the last three years to where that hundred billion is now twelve billion. And it's arguably still a few billion too much probably. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But, but we won't we won't speculate too much on that. But it kind of goes back to the risky behavior that the bank is taking is encouraging risky behavior from all the companies too. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit like last week we saw, you know, Sam Bankman Fried, who was the FTX crypto guy. If you mm-hmm. guys remember several months ago, there was a big stink about, you know, fraud and that kind of thing in the cryptocurrency world. And a signature bank, we've talked a lot about SVB, which is Silicon Valley Bank, but we've actually have a few clients that have, you know, accounts with Signature Bank. And Signature Bank was kind of doing the same thing, but in the crypto world. So instead of having these companies with frivolous valuations underneath, they had crypto backing some of these loans. And so when crypto imploded, they had a lot of the similar problems, you know. And because of all that excessive risk-taking, it encourages other people to have, you know, these excessive risk-taking, you know, behaviors. And so, like, last week, we came out that Sam Bankman-Fried, the head of FTX, had made a large bribe, basically, to to the CCP, right, (laughs) to China, $40 million. $40 million, yeah. So when you pay $40 million to the CCP, it's called a bribe. Yeah. In America, when you bribe U.S. officials, that's called donating. (laughs) But uh, joking aside... You know, it is risky behavior being backstopped encourages more risky behavior. That's the biggest concern that I have Me too. for the next five or 10 years. It's not so much the short-term fallout, although there could be some. It's going to be mainly in stock and bond prices mm-hmm. 
in the short to medium term, at least, you know, we'll see how all of it unfolds. But again, don't want people sitting at home, wringing their hands, thinking I'm not going to be able to go get my money tomorrow because that's that's not the case. And so take a deep breath. This too shall pass and we'll, we'll keep you informed each week also while we're on here. OK, so again, if you've got money in the local bank, the community bank at the Farmers and Merchants Bank, as the example that I used, or maybe even in Chase or Wells Fargo, I mean, those banks may be too big to fail. But nevertheless, you do not have anything to worry about. We're talking with Randy and Jake here of Floyd Financial Group. We're talking about the uh, banking crisis, if you will, and whether or not it's over. And uh, we've come to the conclusion that it may not be over yet. But just uh, hold on to your seats there, because more than likely, it is not going to affect you. Now, at Floyd Financial Group, your money is kept with a custodian. So how is that different than a bank, and how safe is this money with a custodian? So there's a couple of ways that it's different. Um, I would argue that money at a custodian is safer than money at a bank. Um, The reason for that is the banking system, again, I'll give you a little bit of lesson in in how banking works. If Mm -hmm. you just had a bank that did not loan money out, you would have to pay an exorbitant amount of money to have access to your money. Right. The way that banking is quote-unquote free, or you can open an account and have access to your money, is that they take your dollar and they loan it out four or five or six times and make money on that money, and thereby you are able to you know, have access to your money. And so if they did not have those loaning privileges inside the bank, you would have to pay a fairly unbelievable amount of money to the bank to be able to make them give you access anywhere to your money. So that's a necessary part of it. But because of that, if they take your dollar and they loan it out, say, four times, that means they have 25 cents on the dollar, right, available in any event that you come in. So versus when you when you have money at a custodian, and let's say you have money in the money market at a custodian, in that money market, you're holding treasuries and things like that or government bonds underlying their dollar for dollar. So there's no leverage, meaning we're not we're not taking one dollar and turning it into four, which you know Warren Buffett famously called yeah or more. Yeah, in the financial crisis, it was up to two hundred to one. Wow. And so we won't go way down that that rabbit hole, but Warren Buffett famously called leverage financial weapons of mass destruction. Mm-hmm. So uh, talking about derivatives and leverage. Yeah. So, when you have money, say it, you know, TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab, Fidelity, somebody like that, you know, you are insured by the SIPC. So if that institution has failed or something like that, you do have insurance underneath similar to the FDIC, but they don't have the same way to fail. Now, depending on the custodian, they may have exposure to some of these banks and things like that. But that's one of the reasons why we're very careful who we select as a custodian so that we're not selecting people who are going to have a lot of extra exposure like that. So the reason why, in my opinion, it is it is a, I don't know if safer is the right word, but it's definitely more of a secure place is because you just simply don't have all this leverage involved where if one person wants their money, I have to go get it from four people. Right, right. right. It's, it's already sitting there in government treasury it's uh, relatively more liquid. You know, there's not a lot of commitments on that same money. We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. We've been talking about the uh, Fed and interest rates. We've been talking about inflation. We've been talking about the banking industry and how it all applies to you. If you'd like to sit down and talk with Randy and Jake and discuss your individual situations and, you know, have them answer your individual questions, of course, we are offering a no cost, no obligation. Most importantly, no judgment financial plan from Floyd Financial Group. Randy and Jake 
realize that you are just like them. We all put our pants on one leg at a time, and there are no big eyes, little U's right here at uh, Floyd Financial Group, as Grandma Maggard used to say. If you'd like to get in and get your no-cost, no-obligation financial review with Randy and Jake and get on the road to retirement, call 417-889-7233. And again, when you call that and set up this appointment, when you have this initial appointment, don't worry that you're going to be sold anything. I mean, there are advisors out there, believe it or not, who as soon as you sit down, they're going to be talking to you about about annuities or some product that, that they sell. It doesn't happen with Floyd Financial Group because we don't know you just yet. We like to get to know you, your hopes, your dreams, your visions for retirement. And at the end, that is when we come up with solutions and products that may help you meet your goals. So again, there's no hard sell at Floyd Financial Group. Once again, no cost, no obligation, 417-889-7233 for your complimentary financial review. You can also get it by going to the website, floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, gentlemen. We'll be right back with more of Show Me the Money right here at my favorite radio station, 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Recent events have reminded us how fragile the stock market and your life savings can be. What would happen to you if you lost 30, 40, 50% or more in the market? It could likely destroy your quality of life and impact your plans for the future. Let this be a wake-up call to sit down and review your financial situation. Take control of your future today and call Floyd Financial Group at 877-889-PLAN. That's 877-889-PLAN or visit floydfinancialgroup.com. Back with your financial catch of the day, and it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money Radio with your host, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money, and in this segment, we're going to talk about, uh, there's a question that always uh, comes up when we talk to people about their savings is, how can we protect our wealth and maybe not run out of money, I think, is what people really get down to. And what does that look like? Yeah, and Randy, I think protecting your wealth is something that everybody wants to do. And it occurs to me in the last, I don't know, and during this uh, bear market that protecting what you have is maybe more important than making money, at least in my book, that it is. I don't have a high risk tolerance. There's a risk capacity, and then there's a risk tolerance, and those are two different things. But let's go back to what it means to protect your wealth. Can you give me an example or just break it down for us a little bit? Yeah, Jeff, I think that, you know, protecting your wealth really goes into two categories. The first one is the obvious one, which is, you know, managing risk, protecting your wealth by simply not losing it or investing it foolishly or too riskily, if that's a word. I think that's what comes to mind for most people when we talk about protecting your wealth. And I guess there's probably a third one, too. So the second one would be earning some money with your money. Therefore, when you're taking income, you are not spending your money down too quickly. So you can be ultra conservative, but if you need income off of your wealth, that also can deplete assets. So we need to earn a decent rate of return so that we're not depleting that wealth. And then the last one would be, you know, from an estate planning perspective, protecting your money against taxes, against other creditors, uh, you know, frankly, bogus creditors, things mm-hmm. like that during probate and those types of proceedings after you're no longer here. That would be another way to define protecting your wealth. But I think we'll focus on the first two uh, in this segment, and we'll take it from there. 
Okay, so uh, when you talk about protecting your wealth, I think of creditors and predators, and I think that that's what you were getting to. So let's go back to the first part of it there, and that is managing risk. We've got risk capacity and then risk tolerance. I always think of those two different things. Can you define the difference between, at least in your opinion, what risk tolerance is versus your capacity to take risk? Yeah, so... You know, your risk tolerance is more how you feel about risk. You know, does knowing your money is in the stock market keep you up at night? Or do you understand that markets ebb and flow Mm -hmm. and it doesn't bother you too much? You know, if you were to open your statement a year from now and the money was down 10 or 15 percent, is that the end of your world or is that not something that's going to bother you? So risk tolerance has to do with more about how you feel about risk. Risk capacity is more how much can you afford your money to move around Mm -hmm. or go down based on other factors, such as how much money you're pulling off for income and that kind of thing. So capacity is more how much can you take. Risk tolerance is more how much do you want to take. So if someone's risk capacity is much larger than their risk tolerance, I mean, do you steer them towards their capacity or you just say, listen, if you're not not okay with taking this much risk that I think risk tolerance is where we want to stop taking this risk but keep in mind that you're not going to do as well as if you took the maximum capacity. A wise man once said, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Hmm. And so the answer is no, I will not try to make somebody take more risk than they should. What we're really about here when we sit down with people is really give everybody the information that they need for them to make the decision. Mm-hmm. Now, again, once they're on board, we're going to handle everything for them if that's what they want. But as far as in the beginning process of this, I am definitely not going to say you're not taking enough risk, you need to take more risk. Now, I'm not going to say that you're not taking enough risk, you need to take more risk. Again, that's to your point, Jeff, about if they have more capacity than they have willingness to take risk. Now, again, they're only going to have that capacity if they have way more money saved up than they need to live on. So in that scenario, it's really more about that person's comfort than right. it is about you know what the quote-unquote right way to invest money is. There's a lot of financial advisors say, this is the way you do it. I disagree with that because it's not their money. It's the client's money. It's not the advisor's money. And I think the sooner most advisors realize that, the better, the better off everybody <laughs> will true. be. Mm-hmm. However, what we want to do is talk to the client and say, hey, If we don't take a little bit more risk than this, this is what's likely to happen to your assets. And so once the client understands that, they can then make an informed decision and say, hey, well, I'm okay with that or I'm not okay with that. What else can we do? And so most of the time, we probably have the opposite problem, Jeff, where we have people that are willing, you know, from a risk tolerance standpoint to take more risk, but they don't really have the capacity to do that. And so that's probably a conversation we have more often than not because a lot of people are in you know, accumulation mode, meaning right. their whole life they've been saving for 30, 35 years, and they've never really worried about their balance before because it's always gone up over the long haul. And so getting people to understand that now that they're in retirement and they start withdrawing money, that really changes the dynamic and getting them to really understand that is probably a situation we have more often than the one you described. So you talked about the accumulation mode, of course, and that is when you're accumulating money till you get up to retirement. Then you shift into the distribution mode. And I would imagine that your risk tolerance and risk capacity can be a little bit higher during the accumulation phase. But when you get into the distribution phase, do you necessarily want to dial back a great deal your risk capacity or risk tolerance? Yeah, so that's a good question, Jeff. I I think that kind of goes back to the Mr. Green and Mr. Brown story. (laughs) 
right. that we talk about here all the time. Right. You know, I, I do think that what tends to happen in the investment business, and this, this really happened and started to be prolific early on when the 401k and the IRA were new, right. back when ERISA, the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, was passed in 1974. And looking forward, you know, there were a few mutual funds around prior to that, but they really started to grow because really what they wanted to do, and this is going to sound horrible, but this is really it. The investment banks and the broker dealers wanted people to invest heavily in the stock market, right? Because all of a sudden we're starting to switch from pensions, which were defined benefit plans to defined contribution plans, which are totally different things, right? A defined benefit is a defined outcome. A a contribution is, well, we don't know what the outcome is. We just know what we're going to contribute, right? So when that started to happen and people wanted to get into the market, they had to have a vehicle that made it easy. And for lack of a better way of saying it, it had to be dumbed down to where they could just say, oh, yeah, I like to look at that mutual fund over there. And yeah, so we'll put some money in there. And then they just set it and they forgot it. So looking back over our shoulder, we know this, that 75% of the time the market is up. 25% of the time the market is down. It's the 25% that'll kill you. Right. It's kind of like driving down the road. You may make a hundred successful trips, but on a hundred and one, you didn't make it. Yeah. You know? So I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, you we got to look at this with, for, at a little more than just face value. At face value, well, if the market's up seventy five percent of the time and only down twenty five, then that's going to be easy to manage, right? Right. Mm, not necessarily. And I think a lot of that comes down to also, Randy, uh, and I'm sure you'll agree with this: how much money we're withdrawing off of our money. So Absolutely. if you don't need any of the your nest egg to make ends meet each month and your goal primarily is to grow it and pass it on to your kids or beneficiaries or charity or whatever, your risk capacity is much higher. When you have to have to have to have that money to live every month, we cannot afford to make a mistake. Right. I think that's one of the big differences. You know, if you're if you have secure income, let's say, you know, you're a police officer, for example, you got a big pension mm-hmm. and you have some money on the side but you don't really need it to live on, you know, the risk capacity of that person is much higher. Now, their risk tolerance may not be higher and they may still have a similar portfolio to a lot of other clients that we have. But that's why we have to have you come in and sit down and talk right. to you face to face and really get to know you and your specific situation. Once we have had that conversation, then we can give intelligent advice. But by and large, your risk capacity is a big part of that is determined by, you know, how much money you're needing to pull or withdraw off of that money each month to live. We're talking about protecting your wealth with Randy and Jake Floyd, Floyd Financial Group. And Randy and Jake, when it comes to estate planning, I mean, how does protecting your wealth play into that conversation? So, Jeff, one of the things about, you know, estate planning is two things. Number one, if you have a large estate, there may be some tax implications that you pass that on. But the other side of that is, you know, how much qualified money do I have versus money that I've uh, just saved, you know, uh, in a brokerage account or a savings account? And, you know, what's the tax qualifications of each of those assets that I have? Do I have real estate? Do I have bonds? Do I have stock? Do I have annuities? Do I have precious metals? What is it that I have? And when we look at estate planning, do I have a special needs child? Do I have Mm -hmm. built into place or into my 
estate plan planning for me if I need long-term care. You know, there's so many of these things that come into protecting your wealth. And especially, let me tell you, in this area right here on the estate planning side, especially the long-term care piece of that, there's things that you need to think about. Not that everybody has to go out and buy long-term care insurance, but we need to think about the process of what happens if I do need care, because we know right here in the middle of the country, the last bastion of sanity, Springfield, Missouri, it's about $6,500 a month Mm. now for somebody to be in skilled nursing. That is a lot of money you know, $75,000, $80,000 a year. And most people just aren't plumbed to be able to do that. Most people would like to have $80,000 a year in retirement income, let alone, you know, having to spend it just on health care. So estate planning is a very, very big piece of this and can really uh, help you determine the outcome of, you know, what you wanted to do. Most people want to pass on wealth to their kids if there's something left. Mm -hmm. Uh, More and more we hear people say, you know, yes, I want to leave something to my kids, but I want to live my life in retirement as well. And I think that that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. You know, we don't want mom and dad to go home and sit down and never get up again. We want them to get up and get out and get going and have some fun, you know, ride some bikes, jump off some uh, cliffs, do some bungee (laughs) jumping. (laughs) That's you, Randy. Uh, Lisa's not that happy about it. I don't know how happy I am about it either, but nevertheless, yeah. You won't find Randy bungee jumping, let's be clear. (laughs) I hope not. He's not a a big fan of heights. Uh, I'm not. I've been this height all my life, which is not, you know, I've always been vertically challenged. (laughs) He's not, not, not like taller guys. Like Mr. Jeff here. (laughs) I don't know about that. But I admire you, Randy. I mean, you're going to be out there swimming in that Gulf of Mexico here in another week or so, but that's a different conversation for being active in retirement. We're talking about protecting your wealth with Randy and Jake Floyd at Floyd Financial Group. And of course, I think it's a foregone conclusion, too. The taxes are on the rise, and that is another reason that you want to think about protecting your wealth, protecting it against uh, taxes. Creditors, predators, and taxes, I'll say. If you'd like to get in and sit down with Randy and Jake and talk about about your individual situation, how to protect your wealth. Maybe you want to talk about your risk capacity and your risk tolerance and throw in a few other questions as well, too. Randy and Jake are equipped to answer those for you. And again, there's no blanket answer for uh, anyone here. Everybody is an individual. They're like noses. I mean, everybody's got one, but they are all different. Again, to get your no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment financial review with Randy and Jake, call 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233. Their aim is to get you retired and then keep you retired. Again, no cost, no obligation, 417-889-7233. You can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, gentlemen. We'll be right back with more of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. A famous author, Napoleon Hill, once said, in every adversity lies the seed of equal or greater benefit. As Americans, we've always been able to persevere through great challenges and adversity. This time will be no different. COVID-19 has changed business forever. Are you sure your portfolio is ready for the recovery? If you're not completely sure, call us for your free virtual or teleconference complimentary review. That's floydfinancialgroup.com or 889-7233. Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good. Because it's time for more Show Me the Money with your financial Sherpa, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this last segment, we're going to be talking about the uh, question that a lot of people have on their minds. So what does it look like 
And should I be afraid to come in and sit down with Randy and Jake? I find that funny. Should I be afraid? I mean, this is the thing that you should not be afraid of. I mean, I understand people may have some hesitation, but I would say this is probably when you walk out of there after having that initial meeting with Randy and Jake, you're going to say, why didn't I do this a long, long time ago? There's no pressure, as I say. There certainly is no obligation. And most importantly, there is going to be no judgment. So call 417-889-7233 to get in and get your plan. So let's talk about what that looks like, Randy. I mean, when people come in, you had somebody talk about scary money stuff, but there's really nothing (laughs) scary about this. You guys take the scary out of the money stuff. Where do we start with this conversation? People first call and they talk to Ashley. They set that appointment. On this first appointment, how should they come equipped? Yeah, so I think, Jeff, I think it's important that we talk about this from a couple of different angles. Number one, the vast majority of people, and it's, and it's not anybody's fault, it's just that we don't do a very good job of educating people about finance and the market and things like that in this country. We just don't do a very good job of that. So when people come in and they say, you know, I really don't understand any of this stuff, and, you know, this kind of makes me nervous, I don't really like doing this. Number one, we're not in here to give you a lesson uh, you know, in how how to invest in the stock market and, and what what's a beta and, and what's a sharps ratio and, you know, all, all right, those sorts right. of things. We're just going to sit down and get to know you first and foremost. If you are maybe someone that is more astute and you've been investing for a while, we will have great conversations with that person as well because we're going to really be able to dig underneath the hood and get into some things that maybe they want to talk about and get them some answers they haven't been able to really acquire before. And I've often said, and I said it today earlier, that generally speaking, when you look at any situation, if you don't look at more than just, well, you can't judge a book by its cover, right? Exactly. We've heard that. Yeah. And so it's kind of the same thing. Anything we kind of tackle in the world of finance and income planning and, you know, retirement planning, it's not always just like, you know, well, that's it. It's kind of like Social Security. Do I file at 62, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, or 70? You know, mm-hmm. well, there's lots of conversation that goes into getting there. So number one, the first thing we want to do when people come in, step one of what we try to accomplish and get people comfortable with is, what is it that you want to do in retirement? Tell us about you, mm-hmm. your life experience and what you're looking for next. We want to get to know people and what's important to them. So that's the discovery process. And uh, really, it's just a conversation. And again, it's a no tie zone. I mean, this is not a formal thing. It's just like you were meeting a new friend or having coffee, you know, at some point in time, you want to get to know them and they want to get to know you. And of course, they have the opportunity to ask you some questions as well. So it's just a get to know you session, because I'll repeat once again, you're not going to talk about product with them. That is the last thing that you talk about. You cannot really design a portfolio, and I'll call it a lifestyle portfolio, until you get to know the person and, as I've said, their hopes, their dreams, and their aspirations. So once you've done that, you've discovered who they are and they've discovered who you are, what is the next step in the five-step process? Yeah, so the next step is, you know, we really start to, uh, we call it analysis, and but it, it's really not that formal. It's just kind of looking at, you know, what have you saved? What's your Social Security income maybe going to look like? You can just kind of find out what their finances are basically right now. Do you have a good nest egg, uh, you know, to uh, ward off, you know, and pay for emergencies that come up? You know, what do we maybe owe? How much money have we saved? We're looking mm-hmm. at all those numbers just to start to build 
a profile of that client. After we've had the discovery meeting, we know what's important to them, or a lot of it. We know that they maybe want to travel. We know that they maybe want to play golf or, you know, retirement's a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But through that analysis process, we get to know a little bit more about their finances and things. And that helps us then to say, hey, you know, you're right on track. This is what we can do. Or, you know, sometimes people come in here as much as 10 years ahead of time. So they're Mm -hmm. looking, uh, maybe they're 55 or so, and they're coming in thinking they're going to retire somewhere between 60 and 65. So sometimes we're, we're planning with a few years left. Sometimes it's like, hey, I retired last month. What are we doing here, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, and then, <laughs> you know, sometimes people say, well, I'm going to re- be retiring at the end of the year. Right. And so we're sitting here as we look at, and now let's, you know, look at the, uh, everything and we analyze everything. It may be that there'll be, there's a few short-term debt things that they want to get paid off. And, uh, you know, sometimes people come in, they've got maybe something that is not a very big amount, but it costs them a big amount per month. And sometimes we have to engineer getting something like that paid off. But the analysis process is really that we just really analyze where we are, figure out what we have to clean up to make them comfortable and feel good about going into retirement. So is discovery and analysis, is that in one meeting or are those separate meetings? It can be in the same meeting, but many times it's a second meeting where we do the analysis piece. All right. So what should they bring with them, though, in the first conversation in the discovery? Do they just bring themselves or do you ask for paperwork? How does it work? Yeah, so whenever we have people getting ready to come in, we always send out an appointment confirmation. And with that, there is a list of things that we would suggest that they bring. They don't have to bring anything. But if, uh, you know, if they want to, there's a list of things that, that they can bring, uh, you know, from do you have life insurance? Let's look at that. Do you have a 401k, 403b, 457? Do you, have you look, been out to the Social Security website? Do you know what your Social Security benefits are going to be? Things like that that w- would help us to have a very good, meaningful conversation. But they don't have have to bring anything. But if they do, you know, that helps us a lot to to move down the road. And if our clients are married, we encourage both spouses to come. And if you want to bring your adult children, that would be fine too. So discovery and analysis, the first of the two five steps. And the next one is going to be planning. What happens in that situation? So the planning process, Jake and I, uh, after we've had that meeting and we've gotten through the analysis, Jake and I are going to go to the drawing board based on what we've learned about these people and all the things that they're wanting to do, their savings and all the assets that they have. And from there, we develop a plan to fulfill what they told us they wanted and how they see retirement. So the planning process for Jake and I is always really a lot of fun. And we, we think, it, now this is weird, I know, but we think it's exciting. I can understand that because you're really helping people. <laughs> yeah. And then when we get to present that plan and show people how it works, and we often, you know, we tell people, you know, we want to tell you as much as you want to know, but we don't want to put you to sleep, you know, yeah. while you're sitting here either. Mm-hmm. So uh, we always encourage a lot of question and answer through there. It's never, hey, this is what we think. This is what you're doing. It's this way or the highway. It never works that way. Mm -hmm. It is always a conversation. And many times after the third meeting, we still haven't made a decision. And the people don't have to make a decision. And we'll probably never, ever, ever, I'll probably never ask you, hey, are you going to do this or not? It just is, it just never works that way. It kind of goes like this. Well, Randy, you know, I like what I see here. And so what's the next step? Mm -hmm. And then from there we go to that next step, which is step number four. Right. And step number four is going to be implementation. So once we have decided on a plan and the client says, yeah, that looks pretty good. What's the next step? Talk about a little bit, if you will, implementation. How does that work? 
Yeah, so basically we have gathered data at this point and we have most all the data we, we need to help them start to implement the plan. But there'll be a few things like maybe beneficiary, final beneficiary names, dates of birth, things like that, social security numbers so we can set up accounts and all that. But we do all the work, all the heavy lifting, get all the transfer paperwork set up and just basically take over that process of getting everything buttoned up and ready for them to get you know get to hit retirement and start their income. Uh, if that's what they want right away. Sometimes people are not ready to start taking income. So whenever that time is, we will get everything set up to slate income to start right away or down the road whenever they want. And then once we get everything transferred over, we have them back in. We set up logins, uh, you know, for TD Ameritrade, which is where we park money, which will soon be Charles Schwab, and help them just get acclimated to the system. And then uh, from there, we will go to step five. Which is going to be the follow-up very, very important. Absolutely. So once we have gotten everybody comfortable with everything, we're generally going to set our next meeting for 90 days out. And then after that, we will just book the next meeting from that meeting each time as we sit down and just kind of review, stay, you know, connected and caught up on what's going on. We talk about, you know, everything from interest rates to what's going on with the market and, you know, what uh, some of these things that are going on at the current time mean to them and their investments. Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, we try to book a meeting from that meeting. So there's always the next meeting on the books, whether that's six months, a year. Everybody is different as to how often they want to meet. Generally speaking, after we've had people on for maybe a year and we've had four meetings, they'll say, eh, you know, I really don't need to come back for maybe six months. And we let them dictate that a lot, but we really want to try to book a meeting from that meeting so that we always stay connected and we know when the next one's coming up. And Randy, you said some people come to you five years before retirement. Some people come to you after retirement. Let me ask you this. No matter where you are in the retirement process at this point, do you think that you can always make it better for people? You know, Jeff, I think that we have a little bit of a unique perspective mm-hmm. due to the fact that we are large enough here that we have all the tools available that anyone would need, but we're also small enough that we still have the ability to really be individualized, very quick to react, very responsive to what people need. So I think, yes, in most cases, we can always offer a better alternative than where they are. Now, and and again, I know that's that's a bold statement that I make Mm -hmm. there, but I would just encourage people, you know, if they're a little bit dissatisfied, come in, let's talk about it. Let's sit down and see what we can do. And I also want to emphasize too that leave your checkbook at home. There's no cost for this ever for this five-step process. Again, if we do business with you, you know, that's how Floyd Financial Group is going to get paid. And if we don't do business with you, that's okay too. It's okay to say no at any point during the process. We can take no for an answer, but we feel that we have a good enough plan for people that most people are going to say yes, but it isn't for everybody. So don't worry about that. If you'd like to get in with Randy and Jake and get your five-step retirement process going, again, doesn't cost you anything. And there's no obligation at no point during the consultation is uh, Randy or Jake going to say, well, you're ready to go. You're ready to go. That's not going to happen. And of course, there is no judgment. As Grandma Maggard said, and as Randy says, we all put our pants on one leg at a time. We're all equal here. Call 417-889-7200. 
8-8-9-7233 for your plan. That's 417-889-7233. You can also request your Floyd Financial Group financial review at floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. Well, Randy, the old clock of the wall says it is time for us to go. I want to thank you for your time, Randy, and tell Jake thanks for his. But most importantly, I want to thank all of our fine people here. The last bastion of sanity for joining us here on this Saturday morning. You get out there and have a great day, won't you? We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk.